Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Two Cyber Chicks podcast. You're about to join Erica and Jax for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hello to Cyber Chicks fam. We are rolling into another amazing episode with a new guest who is a military veteran and a cyber expert with over 30 years in this space. AJ Menendez brings a wealth of knowledge in the area of executive IT management, cyber threat intel, cyber psychology, which is super rad, network engineering, technical instructor, and so much more. He's also a dear friend of mine, so I was thrilled when he said that he would come on the show, and I am super stoked to have you here with us today, AJ. You are so, you are the best. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show and to meet with us and to share your lustrous background within cybersecurity. So how are you doing today? Are you ready for this interview? I'm, I'm ready. I'm pumped. I'm glad to be here. I am so thrilled. You have such a wealth of knowledge. You're doing so many things. Your hands are in so many pots. So if you can, with a few minutes, spend you know a couple of minutes, because I know we could have an entire episode about your background, share with us, like how did you even get into this space from military veteran to where you are today doing like their wealth of background and then even being a CEO in the space? Um, I'll say this, I actually started when I was a very young kid. Um, so all those movies, whether it's sneakers or all those hacker movies uh, from the 80s and 90s, uh, that's kind of where I started. My father got his citizen citizenship with the United States military, um, specifically in computers. He worked at Fort Meade. Uh, he worked on computers when there were punch cards uh, in Fortran, and uh, that's how he got his citizenship. And when I got to be about eight years old, he was like, here's your first computer. This is what you're going to be doing. Learn this programming language. And he just handed me the books on the computer and off I went. So I started in the late 70s and immediately I started hacking and freaking and pirating and doing all that stuff. I hacked phone cards and credit cards and other stuff that I probably shouldn't talk about. Um, you know, a lot of pirating and freaking. And then uh, one of the people I was friends with online, he got busted and I said, I don't want none of that. So I quit computers for 10 years, cold turkey. Um, and uh, then I got a minimum wage job. A fantastic guy named Rod Wiggins gave me a job. I learned, you know, minimum wage, 30 hours a week. I think I made 10 grand my first year working in cybersecurity. Next job was better. Next job was better. 2013, I was working for IBM Storage, managing about a petabyte of data. And... Um, IBM lost her shirt with uh, with storage. Uh, EMC kicked their butt, and then um, I flipped over to IBM Security, and that's how I started. And I was completely overwhelmed, but I loved it, and I would never go back. Oh my gosh! Okay. That's under so two you minutes. Were, no, AJ, you were like the picture perfect like example of like what everybody thinks 
a hacker, cyber professional, you know, started off as. So I love yep. that background. I love the color that you added there. Um, and you're obviously the history there. And I've clearly gone through your LinkedIn. You have a very impressive resume. <laughs> I will give you that. And you definitely uh, dabble in a lot of areas. So one area that I kind of want to focus on for this first question is about CTI. So I know that that's an area that you're super passionate about. This is an industry mm -hmm. that's really dynamic. It's ever changing. Do you think that this field will eventually have some kind of standardization to help streamline analysis and kind of just standardize and refine how we conduct um, threat actor behavior tracking? What's your take on that? That's a great question. Um, it is difficult. It requires a lot of organizational leadership at, multi at different levels, not only at private organizations, but governmental levels. Um, it's probably going to be fractured for some time to come. There's actually market forces, business market forces, that doesn't want that to get better because everybody has their own thing. Um, so corporate interests and market forces simply aren't there to help others. So I, as a customer, I run an organization. If I get something going, I get some intelligence going. I don't want to share it with my competitors. That would make them better. Uh, and then security vendors, they don't want to share their golden nugget or their golden goose with anybody else. So there's, it, it really needs to be some type of unification force, probably governmental, that would make that better. Um, in regards to how good CTI is, CTI is only as good as its freshness. As time goes on, it deprecates, it, it degrades um, with polymorphic malware and with people making changes, it's a cat and mouse game. Um, so if people ever studied cybersecurity, there's a concept, it's a military concept, it's called the OODA loop. Um, and, you know, whoever iterates using the OODA loop faster wins. And CTI is front and center when it comes to that. A race all through and through, sounds like. Um, thanks for your perspective there. I think that that's really insightful. Um, and I know you kind of uh, stemmed on one of the challenges in the question that I'm about to ask. Uh, what are the challenges that you've witnessed in a cyber community that's caused us to be less prepared to fight our adversaries. So I'll go ahead and add a uh, lack of senior leadership. I know this is something that you brought up. Um, so we can we can kind of start there if you wouldn't mind. No, that, that's it. I, I would say that the two front runners of that that I can identify is a, a lack of accountability. And Gartner, I uh, believe at the end of last year, released a report that said by 2024, 75% of all CEOs are going to be personally liable for breaches. So that reckoning is coming um, one way or the other. It's just if they would solve it with their own integrity and authenticity, they would. But we're still playing games, you know, reindeer games with that. And um, unfortunately, it's someone's got to become held accountable. Um, I would say one of the things that really is lacking uh, the efficacy in cybersecurity is lack of positional, positional power. Um, a lot of CISOs now are starting to say that CIOs should report to them, not the other way around, because it's simply not working, right? Nobody wants to do cybersecurity. It doesn't make them any money. But at the end of the day, if we don't do it, we get tagged. But it's it's not a profit center, right? And, and that's uh, something we've talked about over and over again. So those are strategic like big meta strategic macro perspectives. There are some micro perspectives to this too. 
I would say a lack of training. You know, you get an employee, you know, brand new people breaking in as a cybersecurity analyst. All right, I'm here. And they're like, and you're thrown to the wolves. But don't don't I get any training? Nope. Figure it out. Make it happen. Call a buddy, phone in a friend. And, you know, they're, they're you know, I have so many cybersecurity graduates that I've taught or whatever that come back to me. And how do I do this? What happens with Elastic and then Kibana? And they, they don't get any training. Um, so... I used to joke about being thrown to the wolves, um, but it it's starting to be, it's it's really negative. So that I would think combined with uh, mentorship, um, I think a lot of failure to promote with, from within. They always think the grasser is greener on the other side. They grab you know somebody uh, from another organization. Um, I think in regards to that, the, every company wants to finish product. They're unwilling to train their employees up. And um, that just really generates high turnover, right? Yeah. So there's a high demand, a low pool. They're not training their people. They're not taking care of them. That's where that churn really happens. Um, and I think one of the un, uh, consequences of that is poor internal documentation. Uh, which means a lot of the knowledge is tribal and it gets lost. And that brain drain really affects organizations and just their lack of organization. So you got the macro level and you got the micro level. Yeah, no, thanks for breaking it down. And, and something that Jackson and I definitely have talked about a lot is that talent gap that you've, that you've brought up and highlighted. And I think that, um, you know, it, as a cyber professional, it's a very scary thing. Um, because we've definitely witnessed it firsthand on all sides, right? On the receiving end of, hey, I'm, I'm the one being thrown to the wolves, but also mm-hmm. um, on, on the personal front, right? When you, when you see that happening to people that you know that aren't receiving the mentorship. So I think overall as an industry, we're all doing a lot of things to pay it forward. And, you know, I know you're doing that through your instruction, through your mentors. I know um, Jackson and I, we take on mentees as well. So I think it's a it's a large problem that collectively we're all trying to solve. It's just there's no uh, blanket solution for it. I think we definitely have a ways to go. Um, so, Jax, I, I will let you have the mic. I love it. Thanks, Erica. So something that I really want to dive into and kind of do a little bit of pivot with you, AJ, and really, you know, test that 20 pound brain of yours is talk about something I'm really passionate about. And Erica knows this of of me. I love that. That was awesome. Um, It's talking about where we are as a nation. Um, You know, within the past year and a half, we've seen a lot of action being taken by our congressional leaders, some good, some bad. Uh, but there's me, there's a lot of action that we're seeing around cybersecurity. And that includes the executive order that we saw come out last year addressing the national security. A, also, there was a national security memo that came out in July of 2021 for, quote, improving cybersecurity for critical infrastructure control systems. And then the latest we was the Defense Authorization Bill, which just came out last month, giving more authority to recruit and hire the best of the best to protect our DOD networks. So you being a veteran and and working and seeing where we were in the DOD space and the commercial sector, which a lot of people don't understand those differences. What are your thoughts and what are your opinions around where we are going in the congressional space? And do you think 
it's enough or is it just a little bit too late? Like, are we going to be able to, you know, really set ourselves up in a good defensive posture with all this movement? That's a great question. I, and I'm a little pained to think about it. Um, <laughs> I think we're a day late and a dollar short, uh, or is maybe it's two decades late. Um, you know, a lot of organizations, and this kind of goes back to the macro level of the, the last uh, question we talked about. Um, we don't view cybersecurity as a profit center, or we don't really consider its value. You know, a lot of companies, they don't want to pay for it. They don't view its level of importance. Now we're starting to, in 2022, um, oh, this is important. Well, the time to fix that was two decades ago. That was the, the time to, to get it into, uh, into action. So am I happy that's happening? Absolutely. I'm thrilled that it's happening. I'm happy that we're starting to pay attention. Things are starting to move in that direction. All of our adversaries are iterating and adapting faster than we can. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think we need not a, a very strong course correction, but we need to accelerate what we're doing. And I think I always joke with people that the truth hurts, but it's better to know the truth and know where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, you can't really get to where you want to be. And that really stark, painful truth assessment, I don't think has yet to happen in the United States, where we have the, the I won't use a bad word, uh, come close. We'll have like a pucker factor of about 11, um, where we're <laughs> like, oh, it's really that bad. Um, you know, I, I don't think the average person, I just had a conversation with a mentee the other day, and he asked me, is WhatsApp secure? And oh I was like, God. well, no, you know, and then he was like, well, is there anything that's really secure? And then I, I linked to him the article. I consider Signal probably the most secure platform out there. I agree. And it's still not secure because the the latest people that the, did the stuff, I won't get political, you know, last year, um, they're getting busted with messages from Signal. One way or the other, I'm not saying Signal got hacked. I'm saying that there are, it's the weakest link, right? So pick one of the links. And um, somebody got a hold of that and the FBI got a hold of that. And now everybody's being charged, well, not everybody, but those individuals are being charged with sedition. So from a privacy and security perspective, you know, I'm just letting them know nothing's ever, nothing right now is truly secure. So. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't trust anything. Um, nothing's secure. It, even if it is secure, it, there's a period of time you're going to have to do a patch. You're going to have to do an update. So it's going to become unsecure and vulnerable at any point in time. It doesn't matter what it is. It does not matter. Um, before I pass it over to Erica, I have one more follow-up on, on this question and it's more of a hypothetical. So thinking, okay. but if you had a wand and it's a very large one, make it as large as you need it. But if you had a magic wand and you could use that wand to make changes in the, in the government, to put us, position us with a very good um, cyber resilient posture to be able to de just defend, not even do any offensive operations, but defend our national and critical infrastructure and our supply chain. 
what action would you take to make that happen? Is there one thing that you're like, wow, if this started happening, we would start seeing really big changes within our cybersecurity policies and legislation to, to protect us? You know, I really wish that my wand, I used to have a wand from Universal Studios that I bought, wouldn't have been broken when I moved because I would have brought it out. Because <laughs> sometimes I do that when I talk to people in business and they're like, oh, we're talking wishes and wants now, let me grab my wand. Um, so to answer your question, I would say the cybersecurity framework of NIST, you know, I, I, I maybe legally we require everybody to reach a certain level of maturity from a mm -hmm. cybersecurity standpoint, right? So it's like the, the government says, hey, if you want to do business, you, you have to do this standard. You want to do business at this level, you have to reach this standard and make it more and more stringent. Um, we're all acting like spoiled children and we don't want to, and I don't want to pay for it. And we want to make our profit margins. Uh, and until the adult comes in the room and says, do your homework or brush your teeth or do what you got to do, all the stuff that corporations don't want to do, whether it's like seatbelt safety or airbag safety or fire safety, the only times people comply is when they have to. And until the government puts teeth into that, that, that there's my magic wand. Yeah, worse in the hand. It's the lowest common denominator. You know, I'm sorry. I and I'm a I'm kind of a libertarian. I don't want necessarily the government to tell me exactly what I need to do, but we're acting like spoiled children at the end of the day. And you know, if we really want to become if we want to mature cybersecurity in this country, we have to organize ourselves one way or the other. You know, we can complain all day long about the Chinese being over-organized, but heck, they're at least organized. It's it's built in their culture, right? That's what Confucianism is all about. You know, you've got the, the three major philosophies of China with the Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism. Confucianism is all about your relationship to society, and our relationship with society is we're all super independent. And, I, and I'm good about that, but we have to, we live in a society and we have to organize. Well stated, yeah deep there for some reason don't i say don't record me but we're recording <laughs> too late for that you can't back out <laughs> yeah. yeah it's on tape now. Uh, sorry yeah true aj so i have a question and this is a this is a question i personally was so eager to ask you because when i was looking at your linkedin i saw over 100 recommendations that is the first time and i look at a lot of linkedin I mean, that is the first time I have seen anybody over probably 30 recommendations, but to beat that with 105, um, I'm, I'm really curious. And I want to dig into how has this happened? Are you just that amazing that everybody is really tempted to go in and, and recommend? I mean, I'm not doubting that you are, um, but do you have any strategies for recommendations how has it impacted your career? Has it been helpful? Is this a practice that you recommend to people? Because there are some people, I mean, I welcome recommendations and I like to give recommendations on LinkedIn. I think it's it's a nice thing to do for, you know, people that are um, finding another job that you've worked with in the past or clients of yours that, you know, you've crossed paths with. But it's definitely not something that I have, I don't have a hundred recommendations. So I'm really curious to get your take on this. That's a great question. And I've got a deep answer that I don't want to go into because we'll go over time, but I'll give you a really solid answer. Um, the solid answer is time is money. 
and people writing a recommendation is their time and it's their money and it's effort. Um, so I feel like I'm pretty good. I feel like I'm pretty awesome. But if I said it, people don't really appreciate it as much as it's coming from other people's mouths. And I have found that when you're engaging with people and they're like, wow, X was awesome or Y was awesome, whatever you did was awesome or your project was awesome. That's the time to ask, hey, would you spend five minutes and write me a recommendation? You you just told me that what I did, like my videos or my work or whatever was awesome. Would you help me do that? And, you know, in business, whenever I engage people, I give them a list of my successes. This is where all my graduates have gone. Here's a, a picture of all the different companies and here are all notable graduates. And here's my list of recommendations. And by the way, all of these are links. Go see them on LinkedIn. They're real people. If you want to, you know, trust but verify, go talk to them, ask them, right? So it's all out there. So it's just the power of people. You know, I think I'm a extreme. I've been told that I'm one of the most engaging people. Like there's a crowd of people and you walk in a room and I run over. I'm like, hey, I'm AJ. What's up? How's it going? How can I help you? What's, what's happening? You want to learn cybersecurity? Um, I'm just really engaging that way. And I, you know, I'm happy to share. And I think um, people really appreciate that. And um, it, all you have to do is ask, right? So it's it's not be. there's a lot of strategies to this because I have a degree in psychology. Don't be a jerk. And then if people like you, you know, ask if they can help. And I think recommendations help a lot. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree. And I think that's a great strategy. It's just a matter of asking. And I think it's uh, I think it's something that we shy away from doing because a lot of the times what we're doing is providing services. Um, but mm -hmm. it's, it's no different than when you go get an oil change and they ask you to do a survey. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that viewpoint. But you're just asking. You're not telling them to do it, right? So they can say no, and that's fine. But... If you say ask, they can say yes, and then you can get this. It's like in business. If, if you want to be in business, you have to ask people, would you like to be in business? Would you like to learn more? No. Nope. All right. See ya. You know, it, as long as you don't get hung up on the outcome and don't beat yourself up if, you, if they said no, you're ahead of the game. So true. Okay, AJ, before we wrap up, you, I have one more question for you because I'm very, very curious. When you look at your LinkedIn, you've done a lot of roles. And I know me personally, every time I go into a new position and a new role, there's always something new that I gain and I learn from that position and that role. And so out of all the different positions you've held, such as SIM engineer, enterprise security engineer, and instructor, was there a role that you felt helped you grow the most? You were just like, oh my gosh, this is such a growth phase in my life. And if yes, can you share a little bit about that and how it helped you grow? Oh man, uh, that is a really tough question. That I would say there's two positions that kind of meet that criteria. And you're asking, when did you openly weep at work? Um, uh, I would say there's two notables. Can I give you two? Yeah. If they're succinct? All right. I would say uh, in 2004, 2004 um, I got hired as an IT manager for a value-added reseller in Miami, Florida. And the CEO of the company walked me up to a 50-story building and uh, said, hey, 
I would like for you to network this building. And I'm looking up at this 50-story building, and I'm like, okay, cool. And I was literally crapping my pants because I had no idea how to do computer networking. I said, oh, well, I guess I better get a couple books and make this happen. And I did. And, you know, it it required, it required a lot of confidence in myself to do it, but I did it. And, you know, I'm sure... Three common Cisco support hate hated my guts at the time, but I did whatever I had to, and I learned. And those networks are still there today in Miami, Florida. Awesome. Um, the second one I would say when I got hired, uh, I got hired away from IBM Security to Logarithm to be a, uh, a, a professional services uh, consultant. And um, what they expected me to know was out of control. The breadth and the depth was so much that I literally questioned, what am I doing? I, how, do, how do they expect any one person to know this much breadth of knowledge? Um, but I did it and I succeeded and I made it happen. And now I probably would be really bored if I went back to just add 10 gigs of storage, subtracting 10 gigs of storage, mm -hmm. right? So now it's like databases and scripting and this and that and protocols. And I mean, it's just, I mean, to the point, I created a really bad cybersecurity dad joke. You want to hear it? Yes. <laughs> All right. Here's my cybersecurity dad joke. To be good at cybersecurity, you only have to know everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, a, it's everything. No big deal. It's everything. No big deal. No big deal. So, I, I mean, I know that um, it's impossible, but there's a kernel of truth on the breadth and the depth that you have to. All right. Well, this has been awesome, AJ. Thanks for the laughs. Thanks for the insight. I feel like this has been a very colorful episode. It's been a pleasure. Definitely have left a lasting impression. So I agree with everything that you've said um, sentiment-wise about what the energy you bring to the room. So props there. Um, if our <laughs> listeners uh, love what they're hearing, want to learn more about you or potentially connect with you, what's the best place for them to reach you? Yep, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only AJ Menendez out there. Uh, they could also find me at either of my businesses, Black Tower Sec for my Black Tower Security Company or Black Tower Academy for my Cybersecurity Online Academy. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Two Cyber Chicks Podcast with Erica and Jax. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.